This morning's scripture will come from Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power, word of his power. In making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he had inherited is more excellent than theirs. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, it's Memorial Day weekend, as you're familiar with. If you've driven by any of the cemeteries in the area, you'll find the American flag prominently displayed, and that means that <clears throat> we're honoring and remembering them. And so I did a little research on Memorial Day, and as some of the older of you might remember, it used to be called Decoration Day because it was a day when we decorated the graves, not only of our veterans, but also our loved ones as well. <clears throat> I got a little scratchy voice today, so excuse me for that. Uh, you can turn off the scripture slides. I won't be using it. Thank you. Uh, anyway, it has been observed since 1868, and there's some debate about who was first, but for our purposes today, we just know that it, it's, it's been around a long time. And uh, from 1868 until 1971, it was observed on May the 30th, but legislation changed it to make it a three-day weekend. And from that point on now, it's observed on the last Sunday of May as a federal holiday. And recently, the Veterans of Foreign Wars have been lobbying to have it returned to May 30th, and here's their statement. Changing the date merely to create three-day weekends has undermined the meaning of the day. No doubt this has contributed a lot to the general public's nonchalant observance of Memorial Day. Well, as we also note, if you drive around your community, people are opening up their swimming pools and getting their uh, lawn equipment out. So it's the unofficial start of summer. And a fun fact is that the reason May 30th was selected was because in the north, flowers are beginning to bloom. So therefore, we would have flowers that we could take to the cemetery. Uh, in the early 20th century, a spokesman for the Grand Army of the Republic complained that the, the younger generation has lost sight of the meaning of Decoration Day, choosing instead to have a day of games, running, and picnics. So if you haven't already, take time out to remember those who have passed on before you and spend some time thinking about those. As Jared mentioned, today is also Pentecost Sunday, which is celebrated on the seventh Sunday following Easter. And I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment, but in Acts 2, we read the account of that when the Holy Spirit came and appeared as a tongue of fire and blessed, settled on the shoulders of the apostles there, and they began to speak in various tongues. And so that was a day of Pentecost. It was Jewish celebration at that time. 
but the Christian church has observed it since then. Now, if I'd been attentive to the church calendar, not necessarily our calendar, but the general church calendar, uh, I might have brought a message centered on the events in Acts chapter 2. Actually, I wasn't even aware that Pentecost Sunday was coming up until my favorite uh, podcast, Steve Brown and Key Life, spent the week talking about Pentecost. And I thought, oh, could have probably picked that up. But then I thought, I'm not really into all the movie type stuff. I only saw the first three Star Wars movies. I only watched the original television series of Star Trek. So I don't have any of those things that I can relate to. Uh, I couldn't come up with a movie where I could be a star in like someone did last Sunday. Uh, but uh, so I just decided that next year, Pentecost Sunday, Pastor Jared can do that. So, Or if he wants to do it next Sunday, that's fine. We can celebrate the Holy Spirit every Sunday. So, But anyway, while this is not necessarily a Pente Pentecost Sunday message, the Pentecost does play a key role in my message this morning. But before I get into Hebrews, I do want to read the events of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And what follows after that is the famous message by Peter when he delivers what was now called the Pentecost message. And he concludes with calling the people to repent. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then they note that on that day, they were added about 3,000 people. So the question is, what happened next? What happened after 3,000 people? What happened after the events of Acts chapter 2? Well, they went home, plain and simple. Uh, back to those lands that were hard to pronounce. But most importantly for us this morning, they went back to Rome. So the day of Pentecost does play an essential role and looking at what the events of the, that prompted the book of Hebrews. I want to take just a couple of moments to cover some of the background and introduction to Hebrews before we get into this morning's scripture. Uh, the con various commentaries that I consulted devoted a great deal of time to the dis discussing on who the actual author of Hebrews was. And for centuries, Paul was attributed as the author but recent scholarship, even the early church, uh, recognized that Paul may not have been the scholar of, that wrote, may not have been the author of 
the book of Hebrews. And so rather than to give you all the arguments for and all the evidence, if you're really interested in that, I can loan you a couple of commentaries and, or you can do some online searching for it. But the reality of it is, I'm just going to go with Origen, the third century church father said, when asked about the author of Hebrews, only God knows. And one of the commentators said, when we reach heaven, the author will be revealed to us. So the date of the writing was probably in the mid-60s AD. Uh, it was before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD because there's references to the temple still being there and sacrifices still being offered. Uh, some scholars, and I agree with them, as you read through this, it reads as a sermon with the end of it being some personal greetings uh, and remarks made, it, made at the end, which makes it like a letter attached to, the, or some comments attached to the letter. But actually, it reads more like a sermon. Uh, the recipients, there's some debate, but uh, current thought is that they were a small Jewish Christian church in Rome. Uh, part of this due to the Greek that was written. It's more formal Greek than the Palestinian would have received. And also it references the Septuagint rather than the Hebrew scriptures. And so with that, they were probably Hellenistic Jews. And the importance there is that someone from Rome had taken the message back from Pentecost and had shared that. And the message had taken fruit and grown. And now we had a small church there. There were probably several small churches in Rome at that time. Uh, this particular one attracted the attention of our author. But word had come to him that this church was struggling with the difficulty, dealing with persecution, not only the civil persecution of the Roman government, what they were uh, doing to them, but also within the Jewish community, also there was persecution because these people were no longer part of the Jewish faith. They had turned away from that. And so consequently, they no longer had a support system among their Jewish brothers and sisters, they had been exercised from that, excluded from that, by the way. So anyway, apparently, not only were some of them feeling persecution, but they were all, had already abandoned meeting with the assembly of the brothers. And we read in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, verses 24 and 25, when he exhorts them, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So he was continuing to encourage them to meet together. So I believe that in the face of persecution, the temptation was great to return to the comfort of their former faith, Judaism. And the author in this letter sets out to show the inferiority of Judaism to their newfound life in Christ. And in this letter, he will demonstrate the superiority of Christ to first the prophets, then to the angels, to Moses and to Joshua, to Aaron and the priest. He will also explain the new covenant and how it is superior to the old, the old Abrahamic one. Included in this letter is also the famous Hall of Fame in chapter 11. Also, there is some other doctrinal uh, positions that are revealed in there. Chapter 6 talks about whether or not you can lose your salvation. Uh, and there's some other treatments of that as well. Hebrews is a great book to read. Uh, it just really is. So, But today we're just going to look at the first four verses. But anyway, what the author is doing, he's contrasting the old against the new. And he will continue to do that throughout this letter. 
and he will continue to reveal how God hath been revealing himself in the past through his other ways, but now through his son, Jesus. Now, one of the commentators picked up on this theme of separation between Old and New Testament, and he wanted to, he said, you know, you need to be cautious because the Old Testament is part of this whole big picture. But he also noted that in the current culture, there has been an increasing uh, number of churches that have begun to withdraw or lessen the importance of the Older Testament, and some of them completely reject it altogether. And he says, you know, you even need to be careful calling yourself a New Testament church, because that can communicate that maybe you have a disconnect with the Older Testament. While in fact, that may not be the purpose that you're trying to communicate with the New Testament, that only it's a matter of how you ordain yourself and how you conduct your business, we need to be careful that we include the whole of the Bible in what we're doing. This saying has been attributed to Augustine, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. I'll repeat that. The new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. So it's been there and it's now been revealed to us. Fred Stedman, in his commentary uh, on Hebrews, writes this. He says, without this epistle in our Bibles today, the people of God would be impoverished. Modern readers may lack the Jewish background which the original recipients possessed. Yet the letter forces all Christians of any age to face certain issues. Do we believe that Jesus is God the Son, infinitely higher than any angel, who is both the creator of all things and the final arbiter of all human events? Are we trusting in his death on the cross and his subsequent body, bodily resurrection as the full and complete ground of our salvation? Or are we looking to some act by us or some ritual or sacrament performed for us to bring us safely to heaven? Do we habitually turn to Jesus as our great high priest to find inner strengthening to face pressures, resist temptations, conquer guilt, or achieve self-control in daily situations? Are we permitting our cultural context to lure us into practices or deeds that are inconsistent with the new life we have been given in Christ? Do we count it a high privilege to take up our cost daily and glory in bearing his reproach in the midst of a confused and immoral world? Is the expectation of the return of Jesus as king over the whole earth a bright and shining reality to us, frequently renewing our vision and outlook? Do we recognize the loving hand of God upon us in the midst of hardship, disappointments, and trials as strengthening us and also giving us opportunity to display his character to those who are near us. Thus, with these questions, he begins his commentary on the book of Hebrews. But I also thought it set a good guideline for us as we approach this book as well. Uh, my comments this morning will be more, more of reading scriptures and actually putting things into this, uh, but I wanted to set the tone with that. So as I said earlier, I believe that Hebrews is a beneficial uh, to all believers, both those who are new to the faith and those who have walked in it in many years. Because Hebrews, Hebrews serves as a reminder that Jesus the Christ is the one true Son, the second person of the Trinity, and he is the only way to salvation. He is superior. 
So let's begin. Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so as they say, the author beget, began hitting the ground running. No formal introductions or, or greetings, just a bold statement setting forth the charge that he wanted to make. But this has now signaled a change. So how had God spoken to the Jewish people? It's interesting that in our Sunday school this morning, we started out with this very thing. Uh, how has he spoken? He's spoken to these people through a burning bush, uh, by the way of stone tablets, in dreams and visions, by prophets, even through Balaam's donkey. So God has communicated with his people in many various ways. And the troubled believers in the, new, in the uh, small Jewish Christian church would recognize all, of the, recognize all of these ways because they were familiar with them. And I'm not trying to in any way discredit the importance of them or their value because they were important. That is the way God communicated with his people at that time. We can also say that God has revealed himself through nature. And that is a universal revelation to all of us. But the author's point here is that, as Richard Phillips says, the author's point, this is, which is the burden of the entire book of Hebrews, is to show the superiority of Christianity to the old covenant religion. He wastes no time getting to this point, arguing the supremacy of Christ over the prophets. This supremacy does not in any way malign the Old Testament faith. Unlike pagan religions, it was a legitimate revelation and a true faith. In the Old Testament, God spoke, and it was God-given religion. Nonetheless, Christ is superior, and with his coming, there is now no excuse for reverting back to Judaism. And John Owen, commenting on this section of scripture, when it mentions in these last days, uh, commented that, and, and I hadn't thought about this, but commented that when he says in these last days, it's not the end as we, would, as we would read it, but it was the end to Judaism. The Jewish ways were, had been fulfilled, and now with Christ coming, he was closing the door for returning to the inferior worship of God, inferior in the light of a superior worship that was not available <coughs> through Christ. <coughs> so God has spoken in the past in various ways, but now he speaks through his son. So continuing in verse two and verse three, we read, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his world, of <coughs> his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So I wanna to go to the apostle John and the opening of his gospel where he writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and life was the light of the world. Charles also is also echoing not only John, but the words of Paul in Colossians 1, 15 through 18, which an earlier message I had covered this 
and this is just a wonderful piece of scripture. Colossians 1, 15 through 18, speaking of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. These verses and others throughout the scriptures testify that Jesus is the one through whom creation was done. And Jesus, as he said to Philip in John 14, 3, when people were looking at him as wanting to know who the Father was, he says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So God has revealed himself through his Son, not only in word and in action, but in, you can just see the Father in the Son. But Jesus is much, much more than just the creator. He also made purification for sin. The new and perfect covenant will be expounded upon later in, in, this, in the letter, but for now the author is setting forth yet another truth of the supremacy of Christ. The Jewish sacrificial system highlighted the cost of sin. A holy, sovereign God required a sacrifice to atone for man's sin. But no sacrifice could completely satisfy that requirement. So God, in his infinite grace and mercy, provided the only acceptable sacrifice, himself through his son. Believers today, as they were in the first century, are benefactors of God's amazing gift through the son. Let's continue with this morning's scripture. Then after having made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We see here reference to Psalm 110, which will be referenced, I think, seven times in this letter. Uh, Psalm 110, uh, we saw it featured last week. Uh, you see it often in the New Testament, uh, but this part here. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool. Red, Ray Steadman writes again this, that Jesus sat down to give expression to his cry, it is finished. Right hand, he says, denotes the supreme honor accorded to the triumphal Lord who has risen from the dead. As Jesus is superior to the prophets, he's also greater than the angels those created beings who serve God on a continuous basis. Jesus, the triune Son of God, through whom all things are created and are sustained, has made the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, and having accomplished that good work, now reigns with the Father. So Pentecost Sunday, remembering the day that God's Spirit manifested itself to those assembled in Jerusalem, that Peter, after having shared the prophecy from Joel had these comments. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains, pangs of death because it was not for him to be held by it. 
Jesus, the new and the old concealed, now the old and the new revealed. The Old Testament pointed to a Messiah that would save his people, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Having completed the works, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty of, of the majesty. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 lays out the gospel message for us in this way. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve. The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So my question to you this morning is this. <clears throat> Are you looking to Jesus for your salvation and him alone? Or are you looking for something else, as Ray Stedman suggested? Something that you can do, another ritual or a sacrament? Are you having a faithful relationship with God? Or are you allowing today's culture to pull you away? In a message that I had recently entitled, The Answer is Jesus, the answer is still Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. What the world offers today is vastly inferior. So trusting in Jesus, for he is greater, he is supreme, he is our Lord. The writer of the, of the book of Hebrews will, as I said earlier, will expound upon all of these and more as he instructs this young church and to remain faithful to what is the truth and not return back to that which is inferior. Let us pray. Father, as the small house church in Rome struggled with persecution and doubt and yearned perhaps for the comfort of something that they had known so well before, Father, caution us not to be like them as we encounter the struggles of this world, the pull of, the pull of uh, our culture wanting to take us a different direction away from you. Father, may your word constantly remind us that your son is the truth, that our only hope is in him. And Father, that even though you have in the past spoken in different ways and developed the, your people in such a way that they could become dependent upon you, now we have new hope in your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in him that we, and him alone, that we can find true salvation. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.